Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. Welcome back to Changing Conversations. Billy and I are delighted to be back after a brief pause. Um, Billy was on a sabbatical and life and work was just a bit busy for both of us, so decided to take a bit of a break. But we are back recording. Um, looking forward to lots of great conversations again this series. Um, some familiar voices and some new voices as well. Um, and as ever, we hope you find the conversations interesting. We hope you find them helpful. And yeah, we'd love to we'd love to hear from you in whatever way you choose to kind of connect and engage with different conversations. But today, uh, we thought we would start with me asking Billy a few questions about his role in the recent Muir review and um, how that was for him. So, hope you enjoy. Hi Sarah, how are you? Good to see you. I'm good, thanks Billy. How are you? I'm very well. It's good to be back. It's been a while. It's It's been a while. It's been a few months since we were recording and, and chatting to each other and to, to lots of other people as well. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, Lots to look forward to this season, lots of interesting people to speak to as ever. Mm -hmm. So how's the past few months been for you? Um, past few months seems to have passed quickly and slowly at the same time. Um, <laughs> busyness, isn't, isn't there always busyness? Um, mm. uh, yeah, feels like feels like we're in an interesting time. And I'm sure I've said that many times over the last two and a bit years, yeah. but it feels like we are in a in another in another moment that is creating another phase of how we how we navigate this yeah. pandemic into post pandemic or whatever it is we're growing into next. You know, if we ever get there. <laughs> It certainly is strange. It's like different waves. Yeah. And each, each wave brings its own new thing or new challenge. The, the thing I'm finding really interesting at the moment is the, you know, the case numbers are so high, hospital admissions are, are high, but we've never had more freedoms. And I suppose things had to kind of evolve this way. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, we're recording during, well, it's Easter holidays uh, for me in, in Renfrewshire. I think most schools around Scotland, um, when we go back next term, there, there won't be as many mitigations as, we, as we've had. 
Um, however, COVID will still be around, so it's going to, yeah, interesting is one of the words. But we'll get to it. We'll have, we've done everything so far, so. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the past few months have been interesting for me because I, I've been on a, a career break. Mm-hmm. Completely different pace of life. Mm-hmm. It's great. What, um, what prompted you to take a career break? I think I just reached that point in my life um, where I probably need to acknowledge, Sarah, I'm middle-aged, you know, mid-40s and been working a long time, working very hard for a long time, as many people do. Um, but the sort of concept of a sabbatical is something that I've, I've thought about for, <coughs> excuse me, I've thought about for a long time. And actually, it's something that via School Leader Scotland and, and other teacher unions, we, we've been talking about uh, mm-hmm. for quite a while, that a sabbatical, particularly in the type of role, although every role has been intense, but being a head teacher certainly been intense over the past couple of years more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thought of stepping back, um, focusing on other people, focusing on myself, doing some of the things that I never get to do, like take my daughter to school, mm-hmm. you know, get her off the bus at three o'clock and then go and kick a ball around and get an ice cream. These sort of little simple things have been really enjoyable um, and memories that I will treasure. Mm-hmm. And I've also, I mean, I think a lot of what's happened is I've just slowed down completely and almost like storing up energy for the, the next phase of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think everyone should get the opportunity at some point in their working lives to to be able to step back like like that and just be yourself for a little while. Mm. And has it given you what you hoped for? Yes and no. Um, I had a to-do list in my head, like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> of all the things mm-hmm. I was going to get done. Um, and I've done a fraction of them. Mm. But I'm kind of at peace with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly didn't get bored. There was not one day that I was bored. Um, and I've still been I've still been working. You know, I've been doing uh, sort of continuing my role with School Leader Scotland and mm-hmm. some of the national work that that, that we do there. Um, I've been in and out of school a couple of times. Well, I've been in touch with school. Uh, over the whole piece and you know my, my deputy head who's, who's acting uh, Caroline has done a great job I'm really proud of her and, and the whole team and so yeah I've been in, I've been in touch there and as you know I've also uh, been finishing off over over the last couple of months the work that I was doing with Ken Muir mm-hmm. and the education reform agenda so it's not all been, you know, coffee and walks. Uh, <laughs> busy in other ways too. Yeah. So, so let's chat a little bit about your role in in the review. Sure. Um. What? Yeah. Tell us what has your role been? How has it? How has it worked? It's been really interesting, Sarah. And you know, I need to say up front, a great honour to be asked to be part of the the process. Um, Ken called me last summer and, you know, confidentially at that point said that he'd been appointed to this role. I was delighted that he was going to take it forward, actually, 
Um, and, you know, in a number of ways, because although Ken had, has been in and around many parts of the system for many, many years, I think as chief exec of the GTC, he had quite an independent voice. You know, he spoke with his own voice. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously as a uh, emeritus professor, he, he, he gets to speak with his own voice fully. So um, I was pleased that he was taking it forward and delighted to be asked to be along in Ken's word, words as a, a practitioner member, you know, as someone with uh, lived experience, mm -hmm. again, in his words, of what, what it really is like in, in schools at the moment, mm -hmm. um, in terms of leadership and, and learning and curriculum. And as, as we've mentioned at the start, you know, the leading a school through a pandemic has thrown up uh, many issues, challenges, but also opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think because of some of the the work that I've done nationally on, for example, school empowerment, um, you know, Ken felt that that I had something to offer there. Now, he called the group the expert panel, and that and that word expert sat very heavily with me because I, you know, I'm one person. I, I represent the experience and, and the views that, that I bring to the table, I can't represent everyone. Mm -hmm. but it's important to stress, I think, that the expert panel was not, it was not meant to be representative of all areas of the system. It couldn't be. Um, he had a separate system for that, the uh, practitioner and stakeholder advisory group that did have dozens and dozens of, of people who regularly contributed. Um, and there was a wide consultation, you know, with the general public and and people in the system as well. Um, so I think we tried to capture as many views and voices as, as could be. The expert panel and my role within it was really to advise Ken. Um, and he was really open to being to being challenged in his thinking. He encouraged us to be to be honest, to be brutally honest. Mm -hmm. um, I think and I hope what I brought to the table was a, a level of uh, pragmatism. Mm -hmm. what, here's here's how that would really land on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. Here's what this really means, and you know, yeah, things like that. I suppose uh, that kind of practical element. I, I was probably one of the only ones on the on the expert panel that does, it doesn't have a professor at the start of my title. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I've fortunate. I get to work with uh, a range of people in in the wider roles that that I do. Um, but as a head teacher within my school, I'm, I'm very conscious of the the things that in, in the wider system work for my young people, families and, and staff, and, and the things that don't work so well. Um, and I think you know me well enough now, Sarah, over the time we've been doing the podcast, that I'm deeply committed to positive change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's the only way you can improve, is you've got to keep changing things. Um, there's a way to do that and a way not to do it, um, but you need to keep looking for uh, the gradual and sometimes the kind of quantum leap changes that will bring about the impact that you want. And ultimately, this, this body of work is about making Scottish education better for mm -hmm. children and young people and, and learners at all ages and stages, I guess. Yeah. And I guess the task of 
of kin of the group um, is significant. Um, so going in, what were you what were you curious about? I was curious about everything, <laughs> absolutely everything, because the system is it's so complex, but so simple at the same time. It's so simple in, in terms of what really matters is that learning process that happens in the classroom and learning spaces and mm -hmm. early year centres and colleges and universities and wherever else people learn these days. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the simple bit. Now, learning in and of itself is very complex, as, as you know, as an educational psychologist. And, mm -hmm. you know, people spend careers researching better ways to learn. Yeah. I, I think we know more now. Well, yeah, I, I know that we know more now than we ever have in learning. So how does that then translate to how you set up a system to support that? Mm -hmm. Because the, the school systems around around the globe really, they've not appeared overnight. They've evolved from ways of working, which are pre-industrial revolution, mm -hmm. technological revolution, um, and certainly before. I think some of the kind of values and that, that we hold as societies now. And, and the way that we think about life, you know, it's totally different. But the system has, has if where it has changed, it's been kind of incremental and it, it probably doesn't look too different now to what it did 20, 40, 50, 100 years ago, you know? And in the sense that you've still got, you've got schools where the learning happens and, and you know, educational establishments. And ultimately you have, um, elected members of society who are responsible for the high-level decisions, mm -hmm. uh, policy direction. So, you know, in this context, members of the Scottish Parliament, the Cabinet Secretary for Education, um, creates the kind of high-level direction. And then at the other end of it, you've got that space that I mentioned about where the learning takes place. And what I was really curious about more than anything, I guess, was all the stuff in the middle mm. that goes on between that, right? Because there's loads of it. <laughs> there's loads of it. There's loads of people with a stake in education, with a role in education, um, with a contribution, and lots of public resource goes into that bit in between. And, you know, this stage of the reform process, because Ken's report is really only in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It was about organisational change, as you know. You know, essentially, you know, looking at um, some some large organisations in the system, uh, replacing and reforming, and these were decisions that were already made. So, although the task in and of itself was about then making recommendations about organisations, you couldn't help but connect across all the other levels. That, that happened in that space in the middle of the system. Um, and, you know, what, what in there does work well in terms of what lands with children, young people, learners, and what bits in the system get in the way, mm -hmm. if I can put it like that, because there are parts of it that do get in the way. And there are other parts of it that, that don't add as much value as they could 
and then there's probably other parts that that aren't there that could be there yeah yeah and you said you know ken was open to being challenged in his thinking what what challenged your thinking through through the process i'm sure there were many things but <laughs> i mean i've got to say working with um the colleagues that, that were on the group you know you've got the likes of walter fumes um and looney from ireland you know great great thinkers very very experienced thinkers um and we had Khadija Mohammed as well, who constantly challenged us all mm -hmm. uh, to remember that this is a really diverse country and the system is not so diverse. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's clear evidence that we're not meeting the needs of, of all mm -hmm. and backgrounds. And, you know, we still have many, many challenges as a society, never mind as an education system. Mm -hmm. um, so we were all challenged in that regard. And I was also, you know, challenged by Cathy uh, McCulloch from the Children's Parliament who absolutely kept the rights of the child front and centre, mm -hmm. um, which is ostensibly what I do in my role as a head teacher. You know, um, even if other things get in the way, that's what we should be doing. But she was really good at bringing everything back to, right, okay, what does this mean for children? What does it mean for their families? Um, I, other things that, that challenged me, I, I did find it challenging that what we were talking about were, were changing these organizations mm -hmm. um, but within an organization you have people you know many many good hard-working positive people and I, and I totally understood and empathized with the uncertainty you know and the worry that this process will have brought to many people many who I know personally and respect and, and get on with um, but it's, it's not a case of you know the lights will go out one day and something else will be there the next. Mm. We did have to be bold and we were challenged to be bold directly, Sarah, in the first meeting uh, by the cabinet secretary. You know, as you know, there, when things like this happen, there's always the accusation that ah, it'll just be a shuffling around the deck chair's job and, you know, the system will look after itself. Mm -hmm. Got to say, hand on heart, that's not the feeling I got at any stage in the process. And I, and I probably do believe that this phase of reform will be the, the best and biggest opportunity in my career that, that we'll have to actually change the wider system. Um, yes, yeah, structures within it, but also culture and how we work, how we work together as a system. So lots of challenges. Mm. I feel like one of the challenges at the moment is the is is how much change has been generated or has occurred as a result of the last two years yeah and how do we how do we meet that where where it is and that's not just in terms of reform i think that's in in so many ways in so many different dimensions of our experiences that the, the last two years has changed our lives in in such significant ways that many of us wouldn't wouldn't normally experience Agreed. We, we need to kind of refine ourselves um, at, at the end of, I say at the end of the process, at the next wave of the process, because, you know, let's be honest, um, we've got summer to look forward to. And then after that, the seasons will change as they do. And then we'll get into winter. And that's when bugs thrive. So who knows what will happen towards the end of 2022. Um, 
And it's clear we will not go back to the same kind of processes that we did two years ago. Uh, so there's that kind of uncertainty, I think, that we all live with a little bit. Where before life was kind of just kind of moving along, things were, well, unpredictable things would happen now and again, like Brexit. Mm -hmm. And just now, I mean, we need to mention it, Sarah, we're, we're, we're in a context. I personally am so disappointed and gutted that we're at a stage two years down when we've seen all the important things in humanity and in the globe where the planet came together to tackle this major issue of coronavirus. And we've got a war in Eastern Europe and such suffering. And, and it really makes you think, you know, have we learned? <laughs> what, what have we taken from all the pain and all the hardship that we went through? Did we not learn that looking after each other is the most important thing? It's quite mm -hmm. sad. And I, but I suppose that I, I remember what um, I think I think it was Michael Fullen was saying. You know, he in a paper or in something that he wrote before COVID came along, anticipating there was going to be something, and then actually it wasn't just going to be one thing. Yeah. This it was the beginning of many things that were going to challenge us and required us to change how we how we go about doing what we do. And I suppose. Covid came along first. Well, came along. So no matter what order, came along. And actually, have we have we really taken any 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 learning, or have we taken enough learning? I don't know. I don't know what the right questions are. If there are right questions, but yeah, how are we how are we shifting to meet not where we need to be now, but maybe where we need to be in the in the future? And are we being bold enough in in our actions, in our in our aspirations, even. Well, that that's key, right? And you know, people like me and you, we'll get another 10, 20 odd years of of contributing uh, work-wise to hopefully a better society. You know, that's kind of I think what we all want to do, isn't it? We want to make things better. Mm -hmm. But the key is going to be the next generation and then the generation after that. And will we start to stop seeing these cycles of, um, you know, horrible world events? Let's be honest. We had Black Lives Matter for a reason. Um, we, I, I suppose, the United Kingdom have, has gone through a major shock in terms of political disagreement. That'll probably always be there, though. And and then, yeah, a pandemic, and unfortunately. I mean, although we're saying, yeah, there's a war in Ukraine, there's, there's always been war. I mean, there was war going on in different places throughout the pandemic as well. So what is it that needs to shift, you know, that fundamental human nature that, that we have this one life and this one planet and let's do our best to look after it. And, you know, it, it's ironic, but that's kind of the direction that our, uh, as a school, that we've moved our curriculum rationale in that direction. Mm -hmm. You know, that what really matters, you know, linking back to what I've been saying already, what really matters is um, the learning that takes place, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's not, you can learn by reading a book and that's a, a solitary process. Although it's not really because you're, you're taking on board someone else's words and thoughts. Um, but most learning is an interaction between people. Mm -hmm. um, I think 
where we are as a country is we know the key to positive relationships. We know the key to understanding learners and what their position is in terms of readiness to learn, attitude to learning, mindset, well-being. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we've made a clear case over the last couple of years in this podcast that the link between learning and well-being is is so strong it can't be broken. You need to account for you can't account for one without the other mm-hmm. almost. So taking it back to the reform agenda, and as I said, when we started talking about it, Sarah, the, it's so simple when you when you boil it down to that. It's a learner, you know. My daughter's in primary four, so it's what happens in her classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of research that says the most important thing that affects that is what teachers think and do. Mm-hmm. What teachers think and do. Now, unfortunately, she's a great teachers because they think that every young person is special um, and has gifts and they want the best from them. They think that learning is important. They think that learning should be creative and, you know, they're quite innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, and then what they do is they they then use that philosophy to, in the things that they they get to do each day. And, you know, in most days she, she bounces home or, as I said recently, I've got to get her from the bus and she'll have a big smile on her face and something new in her school bag to show me or tell me about. And... If we can, if we can make an education system that focuses on that, you know, supporting, putting learners, outcomes for learners, well-being for learners, right at the heart, and then working outwards from there, mm-hmm. you know, those ripples. So the next closest thing, of course, is, is their families and those that care for them. Um, in terms of learning, it would then be the teachers. And the staff that that work with them. So, my hope from the process, the reform process, is that we can simplify things a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can. There are layers and layers and layers of different levels of accountability, responsibility. Let's be honest. There's bureaucracy. There are tasks that happen across the system that actually don't make much difference to the learning of young people and some that really get in the way of it as well, if I can really challenge in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do need to change things. We need to simplify. We need to make sure that th- we can draw a line between tasks and activities and the word you used, busyness. Mm-hmm. Right? Can you draw a line from it to, is this going to improve learning and well-being? And if you can't really draw that line, we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves and say, right, okay, do we need to do this? Or do we need to do something different? I'm not convinced that a lot of the activity that takes place in the busy system can directly be aligned in that way. Mm-hmm. It, it reminds me of, um, you know, the Olympic rowing team that, that won the medal, I think it was at the Sydney Olympics, and their mantra of... Everything they did was about making the boat go faster, mm-hmm. right? And if it didn't make, if it, if they were training or they were eating or they were engaged in any kind of activity that, that was to do with preparing for a race, mm-hmm. they would ask that question. 
And if it wasn't going to make the boat go faster, they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They'd go and rethink and do something else. And that brought them success. So that's what I would like to see in Scottish education mm-hmm. in that middle system and in schools and at national policy level, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is this going to make the boat go faster? Is mm-hmm. this actually going to improve the health, the well-being, the life chances, the learning of children and young people and other learners? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the time we, we can almost justify anything and we think, that oh, yeah, it will do. It will do. Let's, let's add a, a written exam into a woodwork qualification, right? Nah, I can't draw a line between that and making it better for learners and then the teachers that support them. So we need to stop doing some of the crazy things that 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 happen in the system. And there'll be, you know, there'll be other people than me who could list many things. It's it's not really in my nature to to pick up and focus in on all the problems. You need to see them and then you need to work out how to move beyond them or resolve them if you can. So I suppose a, a kind of simplification, a realignment, and a refocus on what really matters. Um, and but at the end of the day, this is just a report. It's it's recommendations. I think I think they're bold. Um, they're not radical. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a new world. It's not going to be a new world order. Um, there's still going to be a, a middle layer of the system that's got a lot of responsibility, but. I'm really encouraged that the kind of language that's being used is is slightly different. You know, we're looking at, right, are are these agencies going to be for teachers? Because I I suppose as as a teacher, you know, 20 odd years in the role, sometimes it feels as if teachers serve other masters, Mm -hmm. you know? Actually who we serve is is the learners and the families. Mm -hmm and our colleagues. So can we realign that system and turn it upside down, right? Mm-hmm. So there's radical. But we've spoke about, we've spoke about that with many people, haven't we? Yeah. You know, kind of ground up and the grassroots. And yeah. I think that's where we've got to go, Sarah. Yeah. So as you head back to school after Easter, after your sabbatical, what are you going to take with you? What's What's key for you? What What's key for me, always, I think, in the job, is trying to focus it back on what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? Is this actually going to help um, children and young people and their families, you mm-hmm. know? Um, is what we're doing supporting teachers and staff to help them? And as much as I possibly can, can I get the other bits of the system around me around the school to help me and my senior leadership team achieve that, you know, but just trying to emphasize, I suppose, and re-emphasize that what what matters is what happens in the learning process Mm -hmm. and moving out from there. Yeah. That's what I'll take from it. But what I'll also take from the time is I'm just really looking forward to getting back and some of those joyful moments that happen. When you when you work with uh, teenagers primarily, and when you work with great colleagues, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've definitely missed that. I've missed those moments, and I hope that there'll be a, a lot of them in the in the term that comes. As ever, there'll be 
tough days and tough situations. And I think as a, as a leader and a teacher, all you can ever do is make the best decision that you can at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but remembering what's important, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It's funny, one of the things that I meant to, to mention when we were talking about reform was this idea. I always like sport analogies. Um, and uh, it, it tends to be football because that's, that's a, a key interest of mine. Mm-hmm. Someone said to me last August, right, two, two things about, about the year as I go back to finish off this session. We kind of went into this session trying to play elite-level football, you know, Premier League football, but it turned out and emerged that we hadn't had a proper pre-season and a few of the key players were injured. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's that. So we need to finish off the session in a way that kind of keeps keeps everybody moving in the right direction, in a positive direction, keeping that focus on looking after people. Mm-hmm. And then I, I really hope that the following session we can start to, or not, not start to, but we can sort of build on momentum of continuing to improve again, you know, and, and not be so focused on the health and safety, as important as that has had to be, right? That's the first analogy, and I hope that the system can align behind that and support that. Yeah. The second one is, you know, if you're playing football, there's only one referee, but, but sometimes in when you're uh, working in a school, it feels like you're playing football and there's five or six referees, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not always playing with the same rules. Mm-hmm. Because we're, we're accountable to so many layers within the system. And again, if there can be better alignment there, mm-hmm. share priorities and get behind a, a shared cause and head teacher plea, we'd, we then realign the resource behind it. You know, because if, if what we're saying is what the most important bit is that, that learning interaction in classrooms and, and learning spaces, so much of the resource goes into the middle ground. Let's realign a little bit. You know, we need to now more than ever support teachers to do the best job that they can. Mm-hmm. And we'll always need a middle. We need that. We need that support out with school. We need that challenge out with schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that space between the front line, if you will, and uh, a national policy. Um, and it's about making that the best it can be. So exciting times. Mm-hmm. It does feel, and it's a word that keeps coming up in conversations that I'm having with people is there, we need to kind of recalibrate a little bit that, yeah. that actually, you know, the way we did improvement in 2018 is, is not going to work in 2022, 2023. And actually, how do we recalibrate expectations, aspirations, expectations from out with as well as within, and how we do improvement maybe needs to be be different. You know, where does it need to be an improvement plan for the year? Maybe it needs to look quite different. And how do we just recalibrate a little bit so that we are still improving, but we are improving in a landscape that is going to continue to change? Because I don't think we're going to get I know we came back in August this year and there was a hope of it's going to be easier and normal and we did the same 
the August before, and I'm not sure that we are going to get back. And I think there's a realization now of actually that that pre-world isn't going to really exist again. And and what is this emerging space going to look like? And how do we recalibrate so that we can function well, better, thrive? I don't know the right word, but how do we? Yeah, how do we find a way to to make that possible? One of the concerning things that came from the the review process, Sarah, was the the views of children and young people. Um, in a consultation that was carried out, you know, and, and I've, I've said before, if you want to know what's really happening, just ask ask the pupils, ask the kids, ask the learners, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at points it makes tough reading, you know, young people are, are still leaving school with a view that the most, the thing that matters most to the system is them turning up every day wearing a uniform if that's the policy of the school and passing exams, right? And, and I think too many young people still feel that they are, um, you know, that it's a factory and, and they're an input into the factory. Some process happens to them as they grow over the years and then the output at the end, which at the moment we sort of uh, label as successful learners and so on and so forth, right? I I think that I don't know how many would tell you, Sarah, that, that they thrive at school. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, many will, and it needs to be my ambition that every single young person in my school does. Um, but I think we've got a long way before every young person can thrive, because the system is still quite institutional at points. It's quite bureaucratic, hierarchical. Um, I think probably only once in this conversation so far I've mentioned the exams. I think we'll be talking about that a fair bit in the weeks and months ahead. Um, I, I really want us to... I'm going to hold on to those words that you've said there. You know, Let's recalibrate to see how we can properly thrive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that means changing the metrics. Mm-hmm. You, know, you talk about improvement planning. My goodness. That's a top-down process or it can be if you let it be mm-hmm. where you've got national priorities you've got regional improvement collaboratives you've got um, council plans and education department plans eventually we'll get to talk about what the school priorities are and at some point we might ask children and young people shift that around the other way you know we need big national goals and one of Ken's recommendations is that we have a conversation about what education is for, you know, what learning is for, what schools are for, right? What is the purpose? Um, and you've mentioned to thrive. I think that's a good starting point. Mm-hmm. So so if we, right, what does it mean to thrive? And then you work up from there. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, what, what we're seeing in schools, you know, and I've spoke to colleagues in other countries about this at the moment as well, is we're seeing young people that they're not coming to school as often as they were in general pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, there are scars and bruises, and you know the emotional scars and bruises, um, and that comes along in terms of how it's communicated in their attitudes and their behaviours. Mm-hmm. And that landscape is very, very challenging at the moment. 
-hmm. and that adds a major stress to to teachers and staff that are trying to support young people and again that's where i talked about that kind of realignment and refocusing of resources because my goodness they're needed right next to children and young people and their families at the moment yeah. we've not even mentioned the fact that we're going through a cost of living crisis as well as all the other joyful things mm -hmm. um, it, it's tough there it's tough for young people to thrive Sarah yeah. but what, what we need to do is control the things that we can so we have an opportunity to reshape a system that can be more focused and properly helping children and young people thrive and give them the best start in life and um, build proper mechanisms of support um, and, and appropriate challenge around the teachers and the staff that deliver that. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll probably keep us occupied in our conversations um, for many more episodes to come. Um, I'm sure it will be a thread we will weave through our conversations. Um, so who have we got up next, Billy? Well, um, in the next episode, we will speak to um, Ken Muir. We'll speak to the man himself. Ken um, has agreed to talk to us about, about his report, his, his ambitions for it. Um, crucially, you know, as I said, it's, it's a report. It's a bit of paper or a web document with recommendations. It's, it's not action yet. And there's, you know, what does he hope to see actually happen next as a result of what he's written? Um, so yeah, we would encourage people to, to tune in, hear from Ken directly. Um, and he, I know he's up for engaging in, in, a, in an ongoing conversation, you know, so we can hear people's thoughts um, via Twitter or, or, or email or however they want to get in touch and just kind of keep this conversation going. Um, because, you know, this is probably the, the thing to finish on, Sarah, is that the change that we need is not going to happen from the top down. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's not going to land in the inbox of a head teacher who then tells staff what to do, who then tell young people this is the way it's going to be. You know, if we're going to realign it, the change needs to be influenced, hopefully as the recommendations have been, um, it needs to be influenced by people on the ground, mm -hmm. children, young people, families, teachers, support staff, and then the wider um, system from there. And we've heard that challenge, didn't we, when we had the live event with, with Michael Fullen last year? Yeah. You know, kind of ground up social movement. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Yes. Lots of um, conversations to come with. Uh, both familiar voices and some new voices as well. Yeah, we have a few surprises along the way. Um, some some well-kent names that people will be excited to hear from. I'm looking forward to those conversations. Absolutely. So we'll see you next time. Take care. See you soon. Thank you for listening, folks. We really value you taking the time and space to join us, and we hope that you take something positive from it. We'd love to hear your reflections, so please get involved via Twitter or contact us directly by email. Thanks again, stay safe, and take good care.